This morning, I'm going to do our scripture reading, and that is from Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 um, to 4-1. If you want to grab a red pew Bible, that's page 984. So I'm going to read that and then say a prayer for us this morning. So Colossians 3, starting in verse 22. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? God, I'm glad we are here this morning. May you encourage us. May you remind us of your love and the hope we have in you. Um, and I'm just grateful for Pastor Albert um, and for his message this morning. I ask that you would just give him energy um, and wisdom um, and just thank you for his words. When you guide every word that comes out of his mouth this morning and guide us to listen and to hear. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. My name is Eric Jardine and I'm on the Board of Elders and I wanted to give you guys an update just about uh, the building. It was a couple of weeks ago that Pastor Albert mentioned during the message that there is a potential opportunity. And we're actually pretty amazed and excited by how God is providing, even in little things that are, you know, a little bit terrifying. Exciting and terrifying at the same time. But so some of you might not know this building is not actually owned by our church. It's owned by Converge, which is the denomination for Lakeside Baptist Church that met here for literally, I think, 70 or so years. We started leasing the building uh, quite a while ago and converged the denomination. They do need to sell the building to get some liquidity. And so as a result, we've kind of been talking to them about like how would it look like for us to be able to buy the building. We looked at all sorts of different alternatives and you know, felt like putting in an offer was a good idea. Basically, we're in contract right now, sort of. Got about 60 days or so to basically get all of our ducks in a row and things figured out. There is quite a bit of process in that, and uh, I would just encourage you guys to be praying for Converge staff, Board of Elders. This is a big step of faith for our church, and it's pretty exciting. Frankly, our real estate agent, he called it a miracle that we came to what amounts to be, we think, a pretty good deal, but we're not sure. <laughs> anyway, yeah, just be praying for us, and be praying for uh, wisdom and discernment as we kind of figure out the next steps in this process. But we're really, frankly, the quantity of ministry that happens here is quite amazing. And we're very thankful for that ministry and for how this building is used even during the week. Even this afternoon, there's another church that comes and meets here in the afternoons on Sunday. So we appreciate your prayers. Thanks. If you have any questions uh, about the building purchase, uh, please feel free to email us, talk to us about it, um, talk us into it, talk us out of it. it we're not really, um, 
we're at a place where we're open-handed about it. we're still seeking God's will. We haven't heard a definitive yes. We haven't heard a definitive no. So if you hear that, we would love to hear from you. Like, um, it seems like we've started uh, chapter 3 in Colossians quite a while ago because we did. We started in the summer, um, <laughs> August 19th to be exact. So over two months to go over this one chapter. Uh, granted, um, there have been guest speakers and different things going on. It hasn't been week by week that we've done this. But part of the design of going through this uh, slowly and methodically was by design, uh, mainly because chapter 3 is about the Christian life. And so we wanted to, to move about this in a pace where it would be kind of uh, absorbable and digestible. And when we're looking at verses 1 through 8, just as a really quick review, uh, you'll see that this is in regards or addressing our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then when we move from verses 9 through 17, it addresses the Christian's relationship with the local church. Verses 18 through 21, the Christian and their relationship with their family. And today we'll be looking at verses 22, closing out that chapter, uh, and then going into verse 1 of chapter 4. And this will encompass our relationship as Christians to work. What chapter 3 clearly instructs Christians with is that our faith is not something to be kept secret. It's not to be kept entirely private because it's a highly relational uh, kind of relationship. And so how our Christian faith shapes us is foundational in how we live our life. And as Christians, how we relate to Jesus Christ is something different than, say, a non-Christian. How we relate to the church is different from one who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and their Savior. How we relate to our family is different from how the world relates to their family. And so all of our relationships are different because of our faith in Jesus. These places that we've talked about in the past couple of weeks are a little bit more private. We, we spoke about the relationship that we have with Christ, so what's happening in our heart, what's happening in our church, what's happening in our home. Then Paul kind of takes this pivot and he ventures to these not-so-private places in verses 22 and on to a place that is a little bit more public. It's a, it's a place that exhibits a little bit more of who we are and we can showcase that transformed life within other relationships. So we have these private transformed relationships that are happening in the church, in our heart and in our family. And here it's kind of going out more broadly into to where we work. We see starting from verse 18 that a lot of this is dealing with interpersonal relationships how they can be more harmonious. And it covers a wide array of our most important relationships, namely our spouses, our parents, our children. And you'll notice that Paul isn't primarily focused on his political views or his socioeconomic views here at this point. And it's not to say that those things are insignificant or that they're trivial. They are not at all. But what Paul is focusing on here is spiritual. And it, and it it encompasses that which is about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ changes lives. He's not talking about religion and he's not saying that religion changes lives. The personal relationship with the person of Jesus is what changes lives. When we look at religion, religion tends to be about what people say about the Bible rather than focusing on what the Bible says about people. 
That religion is busy trying to dictate to culture how people ought to live their life rather than focusing on how we actually live our life out in a daily basis based on the Bible. And so people continue playing these religious games. It turns out uh, that people identify uh, when they profess to be Christians with certain political stances, and that can be all over the place, or certain uh, stances on socioeconomics, which, which it should influence, our Christian faith should influence how we view all of those things. But how often do we let the social things, the political things, the economical things dictate our theology rather than allowing God to dictate how we see all of those other things? And this kind of gets confusing at times. It's Jesus who transforms lives. And if we make it about anything else other than Jesus, we lose the the very person who can change everything that is unjust and unrighteous about this world. It's not just going to be a political thing because all sides of a political issue are unjust. All sides of a political issue are unrighteous. All people are unjust and unrighteous. So how can we as imperfect people get together and suddenly think that we can make something perfect? It's only through Jesus. And Jesus transforms lives. It's not just who you are in your private life between you and God, you and your church, you and your home, but also who you are in public outside of those things, including your job. Some folks want to keep their relationship with Jesus private from their work environment. And so Paul has something to say about that. Verse 22, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So we look at these work relationships and Paul doesn't challenge the system or he doesn't challenge the political wrongs within the Roman Empire, even though there are many things wrong with this Roman system of doing things, especially when it is in regards to fairness and equality. It is a very unfair, a very unequal society. Now, the first thing to be mentioned by Paul is obedience. Paul had plenty of opportunity to speak out against Rome. He had plenty of opportunity to speak out against politicians, against every social problem that there was in that day, which were many. He had a lot of opportunities. But here's the thing to gather from Paul. When you look at Paul, every time you find him in jail, every time he was beaten up, every time he was threatened, it's because of one thing. It's only one thing. He was in jail because of the good news of Jesus Christ. He was beaten up. He was threatened for that. Never anything else. It was always about Jesus Christ and in him crucified. It was the gospel that was this revolutionary idea that caused all those problems in his life. He wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and in him crucified. So he wasn't put in jail or beaten up or anything else for a political stance, for a social stance. And if we sacrifice or if we dilute the message of the gospel and we tend to focus on other things, like politics as an example, 
And if we drive that as the change that needs to happen in the world, if we're driving political change as a church, as Christians, we might be able to change the politics a little bit. We might be able to drive social changes. But the thing we won't do is we won't change the heart. To change one's heart requires something that penetrates to that level. And it's not going to happen on this surface level of politics or economics. It's not about religion. It's about the gospel penetrating into the soul of a person. Bond servants obey in everything. And we're thinking everything? Well, think about this. It's really easy to obey when you agree, isn't it? It's when we disagree that being agreeable is really difficult. It's really challenging. And it's that willingness to obey that needs to be there whether we agree or we disagree. So when it comes to things that are illegal or unethical, unbiblical, immoral, that's, that's when we can part ways. That's when we're acting more like Peter when he says in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. That's when we can part ways. And so the Christian employee is to be an obedient one. We're willing to obey, to be the best worker, to work hard. Not because someone is watching us, not because we want to win favor, but to do it because we do it as unto God. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. We're to be the best employees, to work hard. Not for other people, not for recognition, but for God. Not just to do the least, not just to do average, but to do our best for God. Not because we're motivated by fear, not because we, we're, we're thinking of anything else, but because we are sincere and we're reverent to God. Now, I've known many people, just as you probably have, that just love to coast by on their work. Right? They just do the very minimum. They just do the very minimum just to get by so that they don't get written up or just to get there. And the mentality is, when's the latest I can come into work and when is the earliest I can leave? It drives me nuts. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, work heartily. Not one that just continues looking at the clock, just counting down the seconds, like, okay, when is it going to hit that time? And once it hits that time, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm done. And you're all packed up to go already, right? Just do what's right. Do what is best. And think about this. How many hours have you lost, or maybe not you, that you've known of other people, and they've lost hours of just not working? And, and you know that coworker. That coworker that just counts down the hours when they walk in the building. And they walk in the building, but they, you know, they were supposed to start like 10 minutes ago, but they're walking in the building. And then they say hi to everybody. And then they go to the coffee room and they get a cup of coffee, grab a little snack or something. And then they go to the desk and then they put all their stuff down and they're just sitting. And then they go to the bathroom. And then they come back, and then it's just like, oh, turn something on, and then they go run another errand, and they go talk to more people, see how everyone's doing. It's like an hour, and they haven't even worked. And you're just like, what is going on? 
We are to be light. We're to be salt in our workplaces. Not to be identified as that lazy guy or that guy that doesn't work hard. Like, go in and work. Let's do this thing. Let's, let's be light and, and salt to, to our company, to our boss, or our coworkers. If we profess to be a Christian, what type of testimony are we giving off? And it's not for their approval. We, we work for God. So it's not like I have to impress anybody. It's like, he sees it. And whatever you do, this is what Paul um, wrote in verse 17. In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. To think about who do we really work for? We work for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to change our mentality and our attitude and our posture in work when we realize who our real boss is. That that's the real motivator. That we have a different motivation to do what we do. No matter what we do, we do it as unto the Lord. We give our best. Otherwise, we have forgotten who our real master is. So how do we use our time? And don't forget, we, we work for the Lord. So whatever you do for work, you, you work for the Lord. And how does that change how you do your job tomorrow? Does that change your work ethic? Does that change how you use your time for work? Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. What does this mean for people who are just stuck in a job that they don't want to do? Because there's, that happens. And there are people in the world who have choices as to what they want to do for work, but if we're just looking at the broad spectrum of the world, most people in the world don't have a choice in what they want to do for work. They kind of have to do it to feed their families, to pay rent. But here's the encouraging thing is that we all have an inheritance from the Lord, whether you're stuck in a job that you hate or you love what you do. One of the greatest things I love about this section of Scripture um, is how revolutionary it is. Because again, you have to think back into the context of that day. There are no labor unions. There are no labor laws. There were no employee rights. And yet again, here God is, giving dignity to people who have never had it before. And so whether we're looking back a couple of weeks when we're looking at husbands and wives and God is actually giving dignity to women, or last week, where God is actually giving dignity to children when they didn't have any. Here, we have God giving dignity to workers who'd never had it before. And we, we serve a great God. A worker who doesn't get paid enough, who gets overworked, who doesn't have benefits. You have an inheritance because you are his beloved. You belong to him. You have an inheritance. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And so you notice, again, the beautiful thing about Jesus and the gospel. This applies to both employer and employee. That those who hold back their reward will be accounted for, and those who hold back their labor will be accounted for. That God doesn't favor one over the other. Beautiful thing. That God didn't favor the husband over the wife. 
that God didn't favor the parent over the child, that God doesn't favor the boss over the employee, that God gives dignity to all. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is revolutionary thinking. This is not something that was happening. Society back then didn't care about fairness to employees. At least employers didn't. Of course, employees cared, but they didn't have a voice because employers can do whatever they wanted to do. They could beat you. If you didn't like it, tough, leave. I'll find a replacement. You don't have to be here. And they can overwork them. They can underpay them. There's no labor bureau. There's no human resources. And here we are, once again, where Paul is championing justice. He is championing fairness. That the Christian boss is to be the best guy to work for. That she is just. That she is fair. Because we all work for the master. One of the wonderful things about Christianity is how valuable everyone is. You may work for someone, but you may have a very high capacity role serving in ministry. And here's, here's the wonderful thing about Christianity, that that same worker can actually have a more mature faith than the employer they work for. And then they'll be recognized for it. Because if they're in the same church, their roles will then be completely opposite of where they are at work. Whereas before in the Roman society, you were kind of just pegged into that kind of caste system. I'm your boss, you're my employee, and wherever we go, wherever it's a public circle or some other civic organization or whatever it may be, I'm always your boss. I always have the upper hand over you. It's not so with Christianity. It can be like this, but then you enter in the church and it's just flipped over. That that guy can actually be the elder of the church and the employer is not. And it's just fair. We're not looked upon as any better or worse. Where that employee at a job could be providing oversight to their employer within a church context. And that would never happen in a Roman society before the gospel reached them. Because it was very hierarchical. An employer would never have an opportunity to submit to their employee because they would never allow it. You kidding me? I employ you. I have the money. I have the power. I have the say. I have the legal rights. Why would I ever submit myself to you? In comes the church. Because we all have the same master who values all of us, who gives us all dignity. And within this church, it matters not what your occupation is or whether you have even have an, a vocation you can still hold a very high and influential leadership role in the church. That in the church, roles can be reversed. And, and it's not a, a big deal. That there's a new way of doing things where employees were given a dignity never extended to them before. A place where they weren't mistreated and they were highly valued here, where they, they had authority. They had authority over others and those ministries who in other contexts, they would never be given that opportunity. And God is flipping everything over. He's right ordering every relationship. Before, it was heavily one-sided. All one-sided. So if you were a wife, no legal status. No inheritance status. That's why you had to have a son. Here, you're a wife. 
It's equal. Husbands no longer have the upper hand. You are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You're to die for her. It's totally uprooting this entire social system. Same thing for children and parents. Children and parents. Kids, you have no right. I can chain you to that animal and have you milk it all day if I wanted. I can beat you. I can kill you. I can sell you. I can do whatever I want. You have no rights. And what does Paul say? Fathers, don't provoke your children. What? I can kill that kid. What do you mean provoke? Because you don't want me to discourage them, Paul? Are you kidding me? I can do whatever I want to that kid. Paul's like, no. I'm giving dignity to the people that don't have dignity. We are going to raise them up. And we're going to give them equal standing. Same thing for employers and employees right here. Employees, I could do whatever I want. I can kill you. I can beat you. I can not pay you. No, don't do that. We all have dignity. We're going to lift them all up. We're all going to be fair. Do you see how revolutionary the gospel is and what Paul is writing to this society? All of this is equalized under Jesus Christ. Husbands, wives, no, not anymore. Parents, children, nope. Employers, employees, nope. It's all even. Everyone has dignity. Everyone has value. All God's beloved. Now the primary focus isn't between people here. What, what this letter is primarily about is a person's relationship to God. And if they can see God in that right relationship and how to view people, then they're able to treat people with dignity and value because their relationship with God is in the right place. And so how is your relationship with God this morning? This is so important because a lot of time people just think like, hey, you know, if I just treat other people well, then I'm good. You know, yeah, maybe if you lived forever, but we don't. And so let's just say that if it was even possible that you were the greatest spouse and you had the perfect relationship with your spouse and you had the perfect relationship with your kids, the perfect relationship with your parents, employers, employees, and whomever else, the issue is that even though it's perfect, you still die. So it's just this temporary moment and it's gone. So who cares about the perfect relationship? It just doesn't even exist anymore. So the primary relationship to focus on is between the person and God who is eternal. And with the right relationship with God, then we treat one another rightly, justly. And we need to get things right with God. And then getting things right with each other has a much greater possibility. It has a much greater potential. But here's the thing with the world is that it just focuses on each other. Doesn't focus on this. But then where has that gotten us? We've been around for how, how long? We haven't figured this out. We're still at war with each other. 
We're still trying to propose to kids, stop bullying each other, stop doing this and all this stuff. And we have all these lessons that I didn't even have when I was a child, but I feel like I treated my peers better than my own kids treat their own. I didn't even have those lessons. They have all these trainings nowadays, and it seems like it's getting worse. See, the, the Bible is not a political textbook, even though it influences politics like no other. It has caused revolutions around the world. It has caused the way people treat each other differently around the world. It influences politics, but it should influence every part of us, not just the political part of us. And when it's used for something other than the gospel, it then becomes subpar to a political handbook, a socioeconomics handbook. The church is still around today, 2,000 years later, because of the good news of Jesus Christ, not because it's some political book. And the pastor is not some pseudo-politician. We are to be busy about telling people about Jesus. You notice that Paul's letter was addressed to local churches, and it was presenting local problems. That he wasn't focused on the future. He wasn't focused on systemic issues or those sorts of things. He's focused on the present. He's focused on the local church and the local church leaders to relate to present ministries. And what's the key to all of this? You head back to verse 1 of this chapter. It says, You have been raised with Christ. It is something supernatural that has happened to you and me. That we are to see things that are beyond this world. That we have become new. We are new creations. And so that we, when we've encountered Jesus, we are a new spouse. We are a new parent. We are a new child. We are a new employer. We are a new employee. Revolutionizing who we are in the name of Christ. Serving Christ. Real revolutionary change coming from within because we have been transformed by Christ to be different people from what our flesh wants us to be. When our primary focus is on anything other than the gospel or more than the gospel, we're going to experience a dissonance. We're not going to experience a peace. And when we're focused more even on our most important relationships like a spouse or child or parent, if it's off of God, we're going to experience dissonance. We're not going to experience harmony. When we're prioritizing our work or our church or anything else other than the gospel, we'll experience that discord. So what we're going to do for the next five minutes or so is we're going to reflect upon our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and asking God to reveal to us where we're experiencing dissonance, a discord, and where we're experiencing harmony. And as we're thinking about those places of harmony and dis dissonance, to then think about where is Jesus in this? Where is Jesus in my harmony? Where is Jesus in my dissonance? And to have a place to realize that God is not far from you. He's right there with you. Through whatever you're dealing with, He's right there with you. Whether in harmony or dissonance. And to kind of remind our soul that He's right there. Even though you may be going through a wonderful time of harmony or a terrible time of dissonance, that God is not far from you.
And so during this time of reflection and when the worship band is leading us in song, uh, we're going to also take this time for communion. The communion elements are right up front here. That cracker symbolizing Christ's body broken for us, that grape juice symbolizing Christ's blood shed for us. And as we take those elements, we take them in remembrance. Not that God delivers us from everything in harmony, but that he's with us. Whether that is harmony or dissonance, that he is with us. That we remember that he is with us. If anyone is needing prayer, uh, I'd be really honored to pray with you. I'll just be in the right front pew there. Um, or Chelsea will be in the right front pew there. I'll take the left. Left front pew there. And we'd be really honored to pray with you.